Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Squadron, the podcast devoted to creating and optimizing a healthy and fulfilling life for first responders all around the world. I'm your host and the founder of The Squadron. I'm Garrett Tesloff. I'm also a sergeant for a sheriff's department in Southern California. On this show here, I talk to experts in a variety of fields looking for those force multipliers that I can apply to my own life. My goal is to make you happier and healthier so you can pursue our challenging careers with energy, clarity, and a commitment to our oath. If this is your first time on the show or listening to the show, thanks for being with us. And if you are a, a longtime listener, thank you as well. Our guest today is Nick Frankus. Nick is Portland Police Department. Nick's got about 17 years on the job. And uh, he's also a fellow podcaster. He's got an excellent podcast I highly recommend called Work on the Edge. It's a podcast uh, devoted not just to law enforcement. It's about all sorts of different issues for people who work in high-stakes environments. Obviously, that includes us. And uh, he's got some great material out there. And today, I wanted to bring him on the show because of an episode he did, a short episode, but something that um, I thought just immediately applied to us and it immediately applied to the testing process and that process of even just getting hired and then going through the academy and your rookie year and uh, maybe your promotion and all those sorts of things. And that's something that we often struggle with, and that's confidence. Do we uh, succeed because uh, of our confidence or our, or the struggle that we have between you know being a, a type A person who's confident and wants to show competence because competence is important in our job. And we discuss why it's important and how it was important to Nick and how his competence and his was, or excuse me, his confidence was tied up in his competence and why we need to be, uh, why, we, why we need to askew that and focus our confidence. I knew I was going to trip up on this. Why we need to focus our confidence in our ability to be courageous and our ability to be humble. It's a great conversation. I actually could have kept recording for another hour because I just, I thought so much about what he had to say was, was just completely on point. I thought for us in law enforcement, we tie so much of our confidence to our competence that as we go through our career and we, uh, you know, we get the certifi- certification from, the, from graduating the academy and we get the badge and then we get the pin that shows that we're an expert shooter and we get the badge or that we get that other pin or the epaulette or the something or other that shows that we're on the SWAT team and uh, the other thing that shows that we're on the bomb team and all of a sudden we have the, all these external showings of confidence. You know, we joke, uh, in my department, we joke about looking like, uh, like, a, like a South African or a South American dictator uh, with some of the uniforms that are out there with all the badges and the pins and the awards and all that stuff are all these, these external showings of confidence or, excuse me, of competence. These, these things that are external, that, that the public or that another partner looks at, they look at this uniform with all these decorations on it, and, they, and it, it, it non-verbally tells that person of, of the wearer's competence. And as a, as, as a result, we often have confidence in that person. And maybe, maybe that's completely justified and maybe it's not. But more importantly, it's not about having confidence in others. This is about having confidence in yourself and how those external showings of competence and how those achievements and competence are closely tied to our confidence and how they probably shouldn't be. Anyway, it's a really interesting conversation. Nick's a great guest. Uh, you can go to his uh, podcast, Work on the Edge, or workontheedge.com is his website to learn more about what he wants, uh, what he's trying to achieve out there. Uh, but uh, a great, uh, it was just a really great conversation. Nick's a great guy. And, you know, Portland's a big city. It's a tough city to be a cop in. And we talk, we touch on it a little bit. 
tough city to be a cop in just with the dynamic out there. So uh, I think that it's really great that he's stepping out there, and I always want to support another uh, another cop out there doing something good for his community. All right, real quick, to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, it's at The Squad Room. And if you do enjoy today's episode with Nick, feel free to share this with a friend, a loved one, someone who needs to hear this. Uh, but on to Nick Frankus, Portland PD, uh, host of Work on the Edge podcast. Nick Frankus, Portland PD, thanks for being on the show, Nick. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gary. I appreciate it. Uh, excited to talk to you. Uh, I always enjoy talking to any other cop in the country, but uh, another po- another cop with another podcast. So we'll get to that in a little bit. But um, you reached out to me after one of the most recent episodes, and we got to chatting, and uh, you. you- turned me on to some of your work and I, I was really, really, really impressed with uh, some episodes that you did on a topic of confidence, which we'll get to in a little bit. But for uh, for our listeners uh, to get to know you, um, tell me about, uh, you know, your, your career uh, and, and what you're doing. Well, let me back up. You're a cop. And uh, I always like to ask, you know, what made you want to become a cop, a law enforcement officer? You know, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I don't. I hate it when people ask me that question. Not, not that I'm mad at you or anything, but as a cop, you know, you get that question all the time. Uh, and and it, for me, I don't really have an answer because it's just I just always knew, like that's just always what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just never any question about it, and I never I never really questioned it too much. I mean, there's there's the obvious, you know, reasons that everybody says is I want to help people, um, which is true. Um, yeah, I, I've I've yet to come up with a good answer to that question, to be honest with you, because it, it just it's just always been there, and it's not something I can really pinpoint, to be honest with you. Something that goes like so. This, I was having this discussion in the car with my son on the way to school today. Who's he's five, and he wants you know, he talks about us being partners one day. Does it go back that far to when you were a a, a young kid and, and just you gravitated towards that idea of cops and robbers, or did you see it somewhere in your? Did you have a mentor growing up, a dare officer, or somebody that? kind of turned you onto it uh where do you think that that started at least yeah i mean you know like like every little kid i wanted to be the professional athlete uh that was my original kind of career goal but uh you know around high school i got involved with the uh cadet program in the the town where i where i grew up so i was a police cadet there and this is a super small department this was a total department size of five (laughs) at the time i think a chief of sergeant and three officers and uh then there was three of us that were cadets and and uh I really just, you know, I just, I, I fell in love with it then. I mean, I was in love with it before that and that's why I wanted to do it. And, uh, but at the time I was, I was scared to death. Uh, you know, I knew, so going in, going into college, I knew what I wanted to be. I went through a program called the police corps. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, I don't think it's around anymore, but essentially it's like a, uh, at the time it was like a, uh, ROTC for police officers where they give you college money, college scholarships. Um, and then you, um, then you're obligated to do four years at a police department. Hmm. Uh, in in return for the college money. So I got uh, involved in that program when I was a freshman in college. Um, you know, but at the time growing up in a town, I mean, my town was 1800 people. Uh, I had a graduating class of some like around 60 people or something like that. I mean, this is, this is a small town in Oregon. Yeah. And, um, so I was scared to death to go work for uh, a big city. I thought, I thought I wanted to work for a, a real small department cause that's all I knew. Uh, but at the time to get into this, this police corps program, uh, Portland was the only agency in, uh, Oregon that was participating in that program. So if I wanted to do this program and stay uh, around Oregon, which I did, uh, I had to be, I had to go to Portland. And uh, I mean, it scared the bejeebers out of me, but I decided to do it. Um, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. You know, now I couldn't imagine working anywhere smaller than Portland. But do you have family law enforcement and family history? Or are you the first generation? Nope, first one. No connection whatsoever. Yeah, me too. So um, 
you chose Portland. What did you study in school? Was it police related or? Yeah, criminal justice. Criminal justice. Okay. So you just explain why you chose Portland. For people who don't understand or don't aren't familiar with Portland as a city, other than that you have excellent beer there uh, yeah. in, in the city limits, what, what's what's Portland like, both as a city and as a department? How big are you? Uh, we're roughly a thousand officers. I mean, we're floating under that a little bit now. We have a bunch of shortages like, uh, most everybody, but we're roughly a thousand officers. Um, you know, it's the biggest department in the state. Um, it is, you know, Portland policing in Portland is a, you know, it, it feels like a pretty unique experience. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so uh, not completely unique to the West coast. I mean, there's other departments on the West coast that are probably similar, but it's a, you know, a, a very liberal town that prides itself on being weird. Um, you know, bumper stickers all over the place saying "Keep Portland weird," uh, and they do a pretty good job of that most of the time. Um, but that's but that's what makes Portland, you know, unique. It's it's a cool place, but there's a lot of challenges uh, when it comes to policing in that environment. Um, there's a there's a a, a loud, um, you know, a, a, a real vocal anti-police uh, component. You know, most of the most of the people in Portland, I you know, really do support the police and the statistics support that, but there's a real kind of loud anti-police element there. So that makes it challenging at times, but, um, you know, all in all, it, it really is a good place to work. And like I said, I couldn't imagine working, uh, anywhere else at this point. And how long have you been on now? Uh, let's see, somewhere between 16, and 17 years. Okay. And in that, and a half, so. that's, that's a, I mean, that's a good, good amount of time in that, in, in that, 16, 17 years, what, what assignments have you done and what, uh, where have you been? What, I don't want to say what have you accomplished, but I mean, what, cause I don't want to equate accomplishment with specialty sure. assignments, but what are the things that you've done while you've been there? Yeah, I did, uh, my first five years I did, uh, in patrol and then, uh, I ended up transferring to our, our, our narcotics unit and, uh, I did about 11 years in narcotics. Uh, just went back to the road actually, uh, back in October, um, I'm also, uh, for the last eight years or so, I've been on the SWAT team and, uh, in Portland, that's a collateral duty. It's not a full-time job. And so about, about half my time ends up being SWAT related and about half is, you know, whatever else I'm doing. And so, uh, like everybody else, we're, we're having a hard time finding people and we were cutting people out of specialty units to go back to patrol, to beef up the patrol numbers. And, uh, at some point I think the boss just realized, Hey, if you're, you're gone half the time anyway, and we got to do more with less. Uh, so I ended up going back to patrol. Um, so I've been doing that for the last couple months and, um, boy, that's been interesting. You know, it feels like I'm brand new all over again, you know, being away for 11 years, a lot's changed uh, in those 11 years. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, like I said, it's fun. It feels like I'm brand new all over again. So uh, that's kind of, that's a nice perspective on it. Uh, we're going through the same thing where we have uh, our narcs and specialty assignments going back to patrol because we're just so slimmed, you know, we're just strapped for people. Um, is it is it a budget issue in Portland? Do you think, or is it a recruitment issue in terms of having? No, it's a personnel people? issue. I mean, you know, we we've had budget things from here. I mean, it's an old budget thing. You know, for a while it was a budget thing, and so we went on a hiring freeze and mm-hmm. uh, didn't bring on a lot of people when we should have been hiring. We were we were frozen, and now we're trying to catch up, make up for lost time. Now there's, from what I understand, plenty of money, but um, we, you know, we're fighting over good people like everybody else is. Yeah, yeah, it's getting harder and harder to to, to recruit. So. Um, your, the SWAT experience, you said you've gone about half the time. Is It sounds like your SWAT team is pretty active. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, fairly active. Uh, I'd say somewhere between 80 and 100 uh, operations a year is kind of where we float at. Uh, we train, you know, a bare, a bare minimum, probably 20, uh, 25 to 30% of our time uh, at, at a minimum is, is training. Um, and then there's always other, other things that pop up for individual skill stuff or small group stuff. 
Uh, so between the training and, and the operation jet ends up being about half the time. In fact, our SWAT guys that are in patrol only count as half a body towards their personnel limit because they're gone so much. So, oh, really? Uh, yeah. So um, you may hate this question too, but let me ask it anyway. <laughs> um, what, <laughs> you know, that amount of time on, um, you know, things change. And you said, like, you feel like a new guy coming back to patrol, but. You know, I asked you why you wanted to become a cop, but 16, 17 years in, other than the pension, what do you still enjoy about it or why do you still want to be a cop? Yeah, and it's, it's interesting with that new perspective of going back to the street. You know, last time I was in patrol, I was I was the brand new cop. I was working night shift. Um, you know, I, I had a I had a partner that I worked with every night. And we were out rolling, looking for bad guys. I mean, every night we were working hard, looking for bad guys. And that's what my, at the time, that's what my idea of a good cop was, was somebody who was out there looking, looking for bad guys. If we stopped a good, you know, good normal citizen, it was by accident. Uh, we didn't have a lot of contact with those people on, on the night shift. And, you know, if we got interrupted by, you know, a call for service, uh, you know, we got a little bit annoyed by that. And we tried to get through it as quickly as we could so we could go find more bad guys. Um, you know, somebody got their house broken into, a, you know, it'd show up to their call and we'd try to rush through it as fast as we could, which I now know, uh, you know, is not really <laughs> the kind of service we're trying to provide, but that's what my perspective was at the time. And so it's kind of fun going back now, um, you know, a little bit more mature and, and a little bit, uh, with a different perspective on, on policing that I don't, you know, I still, I still like looking for bad guys and I still think that's a big part of our job, but, um, it's been fun to kind of transition my mindset a little bit to, to really being more of a, a public servant, uh, in a different way, you know, really, really serving and trying to be the best, uh, trying to give every person that we come across and every call for service, the best experience that they can have, um, which wasn't my focus, you know, when I was, when I was a new cop, I just wanted to go out and chase bad guys. Um, you know, so now it, it's, it's kind of fun to really focus on, you know, if this person was, you know, a family member of mine, and this thing happened to them, um, you know, how would I want them dealt with? And so, um, that's kind of how I approach things now. And it's a lot different perspective than what I've used to before. So I really got enjoyed that. Um, you know, and, and I still, and I really love the, the SWAT teamwork and the, and the camaraderie and teamship teamwork, uh, aspect of that. I mean, that's, that's my favorite part of my job. Um, you know, I'd be lying if I said that, uh, you know, that wasn't a huge part of why I keep doing this because, because it is. Sure. Yeah. I think a lot of people can understand that. And I think a lot of people understand that arc or that transition too from <clears throat> wanting to go out and hunt and like you say be annoyed by the call for service to understanding the bigger picture of what we're trying to accomplish in general you know um all right so recently you started a podcast and as a cop who started a podcast myself uh good good for you <laughs> but also that's a lot of work in between the, the shift work that you're now on patrol, the SWAT call-outs and the training, uh, being relatively social or, or being, you know, being having a family, that sort of stuff. What what inspired you to start uh, start your show? And, and before we do that, too, I should say your show is called Work on the Edge. Um, it's available in all the places where uh, podcasts are available. And it's not just about law enforcement. Um, so I have some questions about that, too. But but. What what inspired you to start the show in the first place? Yeah, I mean, kind of what it came down to was a lot of the, and we'll talk about this more as we get into kind of more of my story and the, and the confidence thing. But, um, you know, as a part of this, uh, my experiences in the SWAT um, community and within my SWAT team, you know, we have a lot of these conversations about just kind of different mindsets about things. 
Um, and, and we learned a lot of lessons, you know, that, um, you know, that, that applied in these, what I call high stakes situations, you know, we're in this, you know, in police work in general and, and in SWAT stuff, you know, specifically we're, we're dealing with situations that not, I don't want to make it overly dramatic, but there is a real kind of life or death, uh, you know, aspect to some of these things. And so it's important that you, you know, kind of bring your best to it. And so, part, you know, th- th- one of the things I love about our team is that we really have a lot of these conversations about mindset and, and ways to, to train and, and ways to think about discipline and ways to talk about teamwork and leadership. And we have these conversations and I just thought, man, it's a shame that, you know, these conversations end here, you know, that so much of these, these talks we're having and these lessons that I learned, um, in these, in, in this environment, uh, they are, they're applicable to so many areas of our life. And so I really wanted to start um, spreading those messages to people who may not have the opportunity to have those kind of conversations that, that I was having on a, you know, pretty regular basis. And I, I really enjoyed it. And I thought maybe there'd be some benefit for other people to hear some of those conversations too. That's great. And I think a lot of, a lot of what you talk about on your show is you can apply or you see the correlation immediately to, uh, to our job. And I don't think you're being dramatic at all when you say that some of these things are life and death. I mean, that's, it sounds, uh, it might be a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason, right? I mean, there's, right. there's too much, there's so much truth in that. So, um, is it, are you inspired then typically from these conversations itself or what are the other things that you've brought into the lessons in the, in the conversation that you're giving on the podcast? I mean, I'm talking, I mean, in the sense of, um, books that have influenced you or, uh, other people or other mentors, uh, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd say somewhere, you know, kind of all in this time frame, I, I had a lot of change just over the last five years. I've changed a lot, kind of feel like as, as a person and, and not to get, you know, too sappy on you here, but I've, I've made a lot of changes uh, in just kind of the way I think about the world and the way I think about myself. Um, and so I, I've always been a pretty heavy reader. I, I read a lot of books. I, I can't say that, um, you know, there's one particular book that that uh, sent me down this path, but I read about 50 books a year. And, and sometimes I I read so much that I forget some of the stuff that I, that I've read, but, um, you know, books are definitely a big, a big part of it. Um, and, and looking for these, these mentors, um, you know, there's mentors. I, I kind of believe in this philosophy of, um, I don't know if you've heard this before, uh, there's a MMA fighter. I can't remember the name, but he basically says you should, you should always have, you know, somebody uh, above you that you look to as a mentor and that mentors you basically, um, you should always have a mentor or kind of a peer, somebody at your same level. And then there's, you should always be trying to mentor the people below you. Um, and so, th- you know, of course there are, there are people within my department who, who I look up to and, and uh, are kind of mentors to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, I try to take opportunities, every opportunity I can. Of course, I'm surrounded by my peers all the time and I, and I, and I learn what I can from my direct, you know, kind of relative peers. And then, uh, I, tr- I try to take every opportunity I can also to, you know, reach down to the people who are new at this, whether it be police work in general or whether it be uh, new SWAT op- SWAT officers. You know, to really get involved in the training and development of new officers. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a, a uh, assistant per, uh, assistant uh, instructor at, with our training division at Portland. We have our own training division, so I go out and I help with the advanced academies and those kind of things and, and help bring up new cops. And then I, I also train at our uh, Oregon Tactical Officers Association, uh, kind of basic SWAT school every year where we, all the new SWAT officers from the state come through that. So th- I think it's important to really have those all three levels of, of influence, one above, you know, above you, below you, and kind of at the same peer level. All right. So you said you didn't want to get too sappy, but we're going to get sappy. Um, five <laughs> years ago, you said you changed. A lot changed. What What changed? Well, I, you know, we'll kind of start getting into my story here a little bit. Um, 
you know, I, I'm one of those guys that, you know, I, I never, so I've, I've always had kind of relative levels of, of success at everything I did. You know, I, uh, I was an athlete, uh, played football in high school. Of course, like I said, it was a super small town, uh, but I was kind of the small town football star, right? Um, which, you know, again, super small town, so I'm not trying to impress anybody here, but <laughs> just kind of this relative level of success. And then went on, I played football at college, um, and, uh, you know, again, relative levels of success. I had, you know, a good time doing that. Nothing, nothing too crazy. But, you know, if somebody were to tell me, if I were to tell myself, uh, you know, that I actually had a problem with confidence, you know, throughout that, I mean, that would be the last thing that I would ever uh, think that I had was a problem with confidence. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, people would tell me all the time, you know, they had, had a lot of confidence. Uh, you know, they might have actually used different words like cocky and arrogant, you know, but, uh, you know, I knew what I I knew what they meant. I mean, they just meant that I was really confident, you know, at least that's what I thought. Uh Um, and and so, uh, I had a particular experience, um, you know, it it was during training at, uh, at SWAT training one day where, uh, long story short, I shot the wrong person right in the face. I shot an innocent person. It was a hostage rescue scenario. Um, this is, you know, early on in my career. In fact, within the first few months of me getting hired as, as a SWAT guy. And, uh, you know, and I, and I screwed up really bad, and I shot this innocent hostage in the face. And this is uh, training or a, a real call out? No, this is a training. In training, training. okay. Um, and you know, it, it wasn't like this light bulb, you know, switch moment where it happened right then. But that that moment started me down this road of thinking, you know, I, I, I'm like that. That could have been a real deal. Uh, I could have a call out just like that tonight after I've made this big mistake. I mean, my my confidence was destroyed at that point. Because I had based all my confidence on being good at things. Because my entire life I had been relatively good at things. And so I thought that's where my confidence had came from. But I realized then and kind of I started looking after the way I felt after I made this huge mistake was I, I didn't have any confidence. But I knew that I had to get some back because the reality of it was that night I could go out and have a very similar call out for real. And so I started trying to figure out like where does confidence actually come from because I don't have any right now and I need to get it back. And so I started trying to think about ways of, uh, that I could, uh, ways that I could think about confidence. It was actually more useful because I, I found out that treating your confidence or basing your confidence in, in your competence or being good at things, was just a terrible way to do it. Um, you know, and I, and I start, so I started thinking about what, you know, what is confidence really? Um, you know, when, when I see someone that's confident or I think about confidence, what is that? And I started looking around at the people around me who I thought were, were, were confident people, or I saw different, you know, different interactions with different people. I thought that that person seems really confident. And what was it? What, what made that difference? And what it came down to, what I ultimately settled on was that confidence is really a sense of freedom. Like these people walked around with this weightlessness. They're what they were not burdened by, you know, anything. They just, they felt free. Right. And it's like, that's, that's what confidence is. It's just this sense of freedom. Um, and not, you know, feeling free to do something like, you know, anytime you, you know, if you have, if you don't, if you don't have enough confidence to do something, you know, the reality of it is, is that you don't free, feel free to do it, you know, for whatever reason. It could be a lot of different reasons. Um, and so, I, I settled, I settled on this idea that confidence was freedom. And then, then how do you actually go about developing that? Um, and the way that we typically think of confidence, I was going to say teach, but confidence isn't really taught. And and that's kind of part of my goal here is to maybe start teaching confidence, is to start getting people to think about it. But the way we typically think about confidence is that it's based in being good at things. 
and and so we typically the the normal kind of way to to think about your your confidence is when you get good at things you will feel more confident um psychologists call it the confidence competence loop um and and so it's like as you get better at things you feel more confident which then allows you to get better at things which makes you feel more confident and it all sounds real great on paper um but it can all come crashing down real quickly as i found out that's an interesting idea that confidence is a sense of, of freedom. So you mean that, if I understand you correctly, then um, confidence is the confidence gives you the ability to go do things, or um, confidence is it's like a chicken or the egg problem, right? Yeah, that's exactly how I'm trying to trying to put it into words. So confidence gives you the ability to go out and try new things, or trying new things or different things or things outside your wheelhouse that's what gives you confidence well does that make any sense yeah and (laughs) and like i say it's kind of a chicken to the egg problem and and it is it's a little bit of both um but you know describe confidence as freedom and so Uh uh if you are if you rely on having to be good at everything in order to feel confident then how in the world do you ever start something new that you don't know anything about or that you're not good at you know, uh, I, I don't know if you had the same experience, but when I started, you know, when I want I wanted to start my podcast, I literally wanted to start this podcast, uh, my podcast, probably two years before I actually pulled the trigger. Oh, wow. And I didn't, and I look back on it, what, what, what the reality of it was is that I didn't feel free to start because I wasn't good at podcasting yet. So I was, I was studying, I was trying to learn how to podcast. I was trying to figure out all the, yeah. all the perfect settings and how to get the website right and all that. Mm-hmm. And I figured out, and I, and I just, I was telling myself when I get good at podcasting, then I'll start podcasting. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I didn't feel free to start. Right. Um, you know, so I was carrying on this, this burden, it, you know, I, I like to picture it like a ball and chain. Like if you have to be good at things in order to, to experience confidence, that is not freedom. That's, that's, uh, us being a slave to your competence. Um, and so you, you know, so that, that's a bad way to think about it, but so, but it's just, you want that general sense of freedom and it, one that it just feels good. It just feels good to be confident. It feels good to feel free. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, but you can develop more of that, um, through, so, so I broke this down into, you know, being free and then how do you actually develop that? So maybe I should get into that is, um, what I kind of came down to is the ability to be courageous and humble at the same time, a lot of times we think of those things as two separate um, ideas, but when you combine those things together, it's a really interesting way to think about your confidence. The, the reality is that confidence isn't even real. Like confidence doesn't exist. You can't touch it. You can't feel it. You can't smell it, thankfully. Um, but it's just something that we make up in our minds. It's all in our head. We make it up. So however you decide to feel confidence, that's how you're going to feel it. And so I, I figured if we, if I'm going to make something up anyway, I might as well make something up that's actually helpful and useful in every situation, not just in situations that I'm good at. Because there may be all kinds of things that I want to do that I'm not good at, and so I don't feel free to start yet if I if I base my confidence in in competence. So um, it's really about looking for opportunities to uh, to show courage and humility at the same time. That's where you continue to generate more and more confidence. I, I like that a lot. That um being courageous and humble at the same time. Um, that's a tough thing to accomplish, uh, especially for a type A personality, any one of us in this job. Um, mm-hmm. And so much of our competence, you know, we, we're, in a, we're in a profession where 
your competence is continuously tested, right? I mean, you have quarterly qual, you have your SWAT physicals, you have the uh, quarterly training or however, you know, your ongoing updated training that you're required to go to. Uh, here in California, you advance through the post certificates as you get, you know, certain degrees or uh, certain years of uh, experience. And your competence is continually reinforced, uh, you know, to you. I mean, you can mm-hmm. constantly get certificates, uh, school, uh, you know, certificates from going to a certain school that say you, you've got this particular training or, um, you know, you wear a pin on your uniform because you just got a certain score on your uh, on your annual you know, badge shoot or your know, qualification shoot. All these outward uh, rewards for demonstrating competence. Mm-hmm. And you're, I think you're, I think you're onto something with this idea that we we tie up so much of our confidence in those things, especially in the outward signs of it, the outward displays. Um, I, I, I guess I'm wondering how how we move away from that though. I mean, I know you say we tie it up with, with being courageous and humble, but how do we start moving towards that kind of a perspective? Yeah. So, you know, it it starts with just having the awareness, uh, you know, and kind of what we're doing here is, is you got to shift that paradigm, um, from confidence coming from being good at things, you know, uh, I'll get into that later, but there's, there's, there's three kind of traps that you can fall into here. So, All right. uh, uh, you know, that, that's a real challenge. I mean, that's how we get to this place is that, especially for high achievers and people who, who really, you know, enjoy doing well at things. Um, you know, and I, I should have prefaced by saying this, that I, I have the belief, I really, truly, honestly believe that every single one of us has this innate desire to feel confidence. Sure. To feel, to, to feel like, I feel like that's what drives all of us towards everything. I, I feel like that's the ultimate human motivator is confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and it's just that, that feeling of freedom. Like, who doesn't want to be free? That's, the, that's like the best feeling that you could have. And so when we... Um, you know, for high achievers who have always been good at things or, or, or finding levels of, of, of success in whatever area they're, they're at, we, we think that we've, we've gotten that success, uh, because we, uh, how am I, how am I phrasing this? Our, uh, our confidence is based, our confidence is, is based in the fact that we did good at things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's hard to think about it in any different way. So I'm, I'm going to tell you about these three different, uh, if, if I could tell you yeah. about these kind of three traps that we, uh, you know, sometimes fall in and maybe this will help answer your question. Uh, I call them the three paradoxes of confidence. So there's the first one is called the humility paradox. And so, uh, you know, it, as a society in general, you know, we're kind of drawn, pe- people are kind of drawn to these, uh, you know, like alphas, right? The, the fearless leader, the, the decision maker, the person who always speaks up, the person who always has a plan, you know, the ultimate authority. Um, you know, there's, there's, some psychologists that, that think that there's more, you know, male leaders in business, not because they have better ideas or because they're, you know, better leaders, but just because they're more likely to speak up, you know, and they appear more certain about their, their thoughts when they speak up. And so, um, you know, so consciously we can, we can value the, you know, consciously we value humility. We think, you know, we'd like to see a humble person. We really, you know, when we consciously think about, we think humility is great, but unconsciously we're drawn to these kind of alpha, type positions. And, and I like to, I like to illustrate this by thinking about, you know, right after nine 11, you see videos of, you know, George Bush or, you know, Rudy Giuliani and, and the, you know, 
you you watch these videos of these these guys in that time, this tremendously scary time in in American history, and there is nothing about them that that feels like they have anything other than confidence, right? They, they, they're you know, like, hey, we're, we're going to solve this problem. We're going to go out and fix this. It's all going to be good. You know, imagine if they were to say, you know what, uh, American people, I'm, I'm pretty scared about this and I don't know what to do. Like we're looking through as our leader and that person was going to say, I'm, I'm pretty scared about this and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. But here's the reality. They were scared and they didn't know what to do. Yeah. I mean, this is an incredibly complex situation. 3,000 people just died on your watch. Of course they were scared. And so... But if, if the American people saw the, the president stand there and say, boy, I'm, I'm kind of scared and I don't know what to do, you know, and just showed some real, real humility, we would we would not allow that to happen. People would freak out. You know, we're looking we're looking to as our leader. So the humility paradox is that, you know, humility, true humility shows strength. But a lot of times we view it as weakness. We view it as failure. And so we expect humility from others, but we often aren't humble enough to accept it when it comes. Interesting. And so we. So and that happens that works within our departments, too. Right. Like uh, people will, uh, you know, there there's this fear to speak up um, about, you know, mistakes in police work. And, uh, you know, I can understand it. Um, Police work in general tends to be real. We get we kind of almost get a defensive nature and I don't want to paint us in a bad light, but there's, you know, all the stuff going on around in the country and all this uh, pressure we're getting. We, we tend to be uh, ha- take a little bit of a defensive nature, not just on a personal level, but organizationally. Oh yeah. And, and it's because we it's because we need to uh, have this sense of competence. We need to let we need we feel like we need to let everybody know that we're good at this, and, and a lot of it's for civil and, and liability reasons, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so I understand why it happens. We but we but we end up sometimes defending things that really probably shouldn't be defended. Um, you know, I wish I'm, I should have looked this up. I wish I could find it, but there was a hospital, uh, and, and hospital and, and medical environments are, you know, very civil liability driven, just like law enforcement is and really concerned about the civil liability. And there was this hospital who, who decided that, you know, when they screw up and they recognize internally that they've made a mistake, they're not going to try and defend it anymore. They're going to go to the person who was affected by the mistake, apologize, admit that, Hey, we screwed this up. We know we screwed this up. And, um, and you know, it's just kind of this experiment to see what would happen with their civil liability. Their civil liability payouts basically disappeared. I mean, you know, they have some here and there, but they were so worried about being vulnerable and showing their humility. Uh, but it ultimately ended up working out good for them, uh-huh. you know, and, and I, I would love to see police departments, more police departments take this stance. But we, but we really get defensive uh, when it comes to being good at things. Uh, so that's so that's the humility paradox, uh, you know, which is which is it's it's a challenge to show humility because a lot of times it's it's not accepted as a good thing. It's 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 sometimes accepted as a as a sign of weakness when it's not. Um, you know, the other challenge when it comes to to confidence is what I call the the fear paradox. And so, you know, imagine if you're walking through, you know, a, a, an African savanna. Of course, I've never been on an African savanna, but I imagine there's lots of things on an African savanna that could hurt you. You know, and we'll just take for advantage uh, or take, for example, um, a lion. Mm-hmm. You know, you're walking through the savanna. Uh, you're much more likely to mistake some grass as a lion than you are to mistake the lion for a piece of grass. Right. Because we have this uh, overwhelming. Uh, our bodies have this overwhelming desire to protect itself. Um, and so this fear response, this natural fear response that comes from with all, within all of us 
um, is present, and we're much more likely to find things that aren't actually harmful to us as harmful. And so we try to avoid those harmful things. But the problem is that our bodies only have one physiological response to two different kinds of fear. There's there's physical fear, fears, things that can actually harm our bodies, like the lion. And then there's psychological fears, fears that can't actually do us any harm, you know, like public speaking maybe, or or maybe it's taking a promotional test, or um, you know, maybe it's getting back in the gym if you know if you you've been out of it for a while and you're afraid to walk into that gym for what people are going to think you, there's there's psychological fear. Mm-hmm. So you can't actually get hurt from that thing. But our, the, the response in our body is exactly the same. The body only knows one kind of fear, but our mind knows two kinds. And so what, what we have is the system that's designed to keep us alive actually keeps us from living in a lot of cases, right? It keeps us from doing the things that we really want to do mm-hmm. because of fear. Sure. Um, so that's kind of a, you know, an interesting paradox of fear. And then, and then the last kind of paradox of confidence, I, I call it the shifting definition paradox. So anytime you start some new project, some new skill, any, any, any sort of new, uh, development of a skill, there's kind of four stages. There's the initiating, you know, you're starting, you're just beginning. Then there's the learning and the development, you know, where your skills, you know, get better over time. And then at some point you, you reach what I, you know, kind of a mastery phase. And at the beginning of this, the initiating and learning phases, uh, we we all recognize that you're going to need to show some courage to do some things that uh, that you that you don't know what to do, like don't know how to do. That takes courage, um, and that you're also going to have to have the humility to recognize that you're going to make mistakes, uh, and it's okay. And so when you mix those two things together, when you decide that hey, I'm going to have to do something here that I don't want to do, and it's very likely that I'm going to make mistakes, and I, and I'm okay with that. Now you have this confidence, right? That's that's what gives you the confidence to feel free to start, is that making the choice to be courageous and realizing that you're going to make mistakes and being okay with that. But then at some point, when you get into the more of a of the mastery stage, now we start to feel a different kind of confidence. We start to feel confidence now as a result of, hey, I'm I'm pretty good at this, and so I feel good. I feel good at this, and so our confidence shifts from one that's. Um, from from a confidence that's based in the ability to show courage and humility to one that's uh, based in being good at things. Over time, there's this kind of natural shift. It, but the reality is you, you you can't continue to be courageous when you've become comfortable with your skills. Like it's impossible to show courage from a place of comfort. You know, by definition, if you're comfortable, you're not afraid of anything. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not afraid of anything, there's no courage to be shown. Courage is is overcoming fear. So once you become comfortable with your skill, then you can't show courage anymore. And so that's where people uh, level out, right? That's that's kind of your mid-career burnout. You, you you keep doing the same thing over and over and over, and you get comfortable, and there's no longer any courage to be shown. But the weird thing here is that we've shifted our confidence. And so at the beginning, the confidence that allowed us to start, the confidence that that we based in showing the courage to, to get going and do the hard things and the humility to realize that we're going to screw up when we do that shifts. And so a competent person who has equated their confidence with comfort, they lose the ability to show the version of confidence that actually made them competent to begin with. You see what I mean? Do you see that switch? Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's, that's a challenge. And so once we reach that point where we start to feel confidence based in being comfortable, it's important that we, 
that we continue to drive forward using courage and humility to, to generate confidence. And, and, and uh, that creates a much more resilient version of confidence. Because I'll tell you what, when I accidentally shot the wrong person in the face, right before I did that, I felt pretty damn confident. Mm-hmm. Right? And right after that, I felt no confidence whatsoever. So how good of a confidence can you how good is your confidence really if it's destroyed that easy mm-hmm. like it's there's just no resilience there whatsoever to your confidence there's there's no um it, it's uh it, and it's completely out of completely out of your control i mean things can happen you can get bad results that are completely out of your control and boom there goes your confidence i mean how confident can you feel in a situation where you don't have any control yeah sorry I, sorry i get on a roll here I, you interrupt me whenever you no, <laughs> I, no, no, I love no. talking I'm, about this stuff so i'm enjoying it i i I see how you can start something as uh, as being open to learning and humble and um, uh, you know willing to try new things. And then as you get better, and it, you know, career is a good example of that. You know, you start as a as a as a guy in the academy with no prior knowledge or maybe moderate minor minor knowledge, and you transition through field training in your rookie year, and uh, you know, all of a sudden it's ten years later, it's twenty years later. Uh, you could even be into uh, like a specialty assignment like you're in or uh, like a, a supervisor position by that point and feeling very feeling like you have mastered the job. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, from my experience was that right before I promoted, I was hitting that mastery level and not to say that I knew everything about every possible thing in law enforcement but in my sphere of influence i had i had kind of um, i want to say peaked <laughs> but absent going to a different specialty assignment or something like that the next transition for me was to try something new to be totally uh, uh willing to just put my neck on the line and test and uh test early in my career test sitting next to mentors in the department who were going for the same position I was. Um, and, you know, it's it's kind of funny in the context that you're talking about it in because that would be correct confidence uh, in under your definition, if I understand you correctly, right? Trying be, Being willing to stick your neck out and try something new and take another step um, can get interpreted, interpreted, <laughs> interpreted as arrogance, uh, or or that kind of thing by others. Uh, how I have a lot of questions, but how um, what's your experience been with? You know, we're cynics, and we talk. I've talked about this on the show before about why we're cynics and how it's important. It keeps us alive at times, but as a group, we're also cynical with each other. How do we? Um, how do you suggest people overcome that or or put that aside if they want to try new things, but they're and I know the answer is partly that uh, we shouldn't base our confidence on what anyone else thinks about you. But, you know, in, a, in, a, in an enclosed society like we are where we rely on each other, that's really tough. How do you think people need to begin this process of um, humility and, um, and, and um, courage, courageous behavior all at the same time in that environment? Yeah, and, and, that, and that's what's difficult, right? It's so difficult, like, you know, me as a SWAT guy, and I go to, to in-service training, right, where every cop in the department goes through this in-service training. And I'm there in front of, you know, maybe brand new officers, maybe, you know, 20-year veterans. Uh, I, I'm there with guys who have, you know, skill levels maybe greater than mine and some that have 
skill level is way less than mine. And, you know, I'd be lying to you if there's not a part if there's not a part of me that feels like, hey, you know, like I'm, I'm looked at everyone knows that I'm the, I'm the SWAT guy here, right? I, I can't screw this up. Like they're expecting me to, to do everything right. And of course I want to do everything right. Um, but the reality is I, 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 I might screw up. Like I'm, I'm literally the, one of the highest trained police officers in my entire state. Just, uh, you know, no, no SWAT team in our state trains as much as we do. I, I get this amazing amount of training. Uh, as much as anybody in my entire uh, state, but I screw up all the time, and and the and the the to to get at your question, it's that's the tricky spot is that it it takes courage, like it takes courage to stand in front of people and say, hey, I screwed this up. I'll give you an example. I was on a we were on a SWAT call out uh, a couple weeks ago, and <clears throat> without getting into the details of the call, I was placed in in kind of charge. I was I was responsible for a certain small group uh, as a part of this this call out. And uh, some weird things happened, and things didn't turn out exactly like we hoped they would. And largely, it is a result of of what what I had going, what I was responsible for. And um, you know, initially, I I felt like everybody else that I there's this there's this uh, initial bit of defensiveness where you where you want to defend what you did because because we tie up our our you know. Again, this is this is not an easy battle to fight because we're so ingrained in believing that our confidence comes in being good at things. But you know, when we screw up, we want to defend it because if we if we admit that we screwed up, then we're all basically admitting to uh, a decline in our own confidence, right? We, if you if you admit that you screwed this up, then your competence is not as high, and so if you base your competence in that, then your confidence goes down with it, and we don't want that. So we defend, defend, defend ourselves in these situations where we screw up. And I admit I felt a little bit of that in this case. I wasn't I wasn't quite sure what I should have done differently, or or that I, maybe I should have done anything differently. Um, but but as I sat with it a little more, I realized that there was mistakes I made. Um, and, and things I could have done to make this better. And so I had to come then to my team and it, and it takes courage to come to these people who you respect and who you want to be, um, you know, want to be viewed as competent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it t- that's where the, that's the difficult thing is that's where the courage comes in. And I had to come to him and say, you know what? I screwed these things up. Um, and, and, and the result, so that's a scary thing because I was entrusted with this responsibility and I screwed it up. But I want to be entrusted with that responsibility again, and so as there's this resistance to talk about the screw-up because then you think, oh, they might not trust me to do this again. But in reality, quite the opposite happened, right? I come to my team and I say, hey, I screwed this up. These are all the things we could have done better. Um, and so that takes tremendous courage to do that, um, and, and, and it shows some humility. Sure. But the result of that was that the people on that team, my mentors, the people that I look to and that I really want the respect of, came to me and said, hey – I have a lot of respect for you that you did that, and 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 it showed it showed leadership and it showed um, humility and all these things that I want to show mm-hmm. is what I did by taking is, is what I ultimately portrayed to them and they and they portrayed to me as as being valuable uh, because I was able to show the courage and the humility and not to pat myself on the back I'm just trying to give an example of of how that works in the real world. No, I think you're totally right, and if you're an avid reader, I think we might have even talked about this like something that's emphasized by Jocko Wellink in his book, Extreme Ownership, and in his podcast, right? And I found that to be absolutely true, 100%, that if you own it, um, people will respect that far greater than pretending it doesn't exist or pretending that you were right the whole the whole way. You know, especially if you're in some sort of a leadership position, like you're a squad leader or a, a sergeant or something like that, where, you know, you're in charge of these decisions, you need to understand that you're going to make mistakes. I think the challenge for a lot of us is 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 
we might have uh, command staff who needs to understand that as well, right? That we're going to make mistakes and be afforded that freedom. In some yep, sense. and that, that's that's the hard thing is that org- organizations so there's there's confidence on an individual level, and then there's organizational confidence, and and that's you know I struggle with that sometimes you know at our department too where, um, you know one we don't we don't talk about the the mistakes that we make as often as we should, um, and yeah it doesn't feel because we haven't created an environment where people feel like it's safe to do that. You know, we make people think that they're going to get disciplined if they screw up. You know, we got to enter it into some system that tracks, you know, all the conversations between you and your, your supervisor and all that. And so, so people don't want to, don't want to speak up. And so we've created this environment. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to take kind of a cultural organizational change to really make that spread. And, and that's part of what we're trying to do, you know, with this, with the podcast. And I know, you know, I, I was thinking about this before I came on the show with you. It was like your, your story of, you know, basically starting your podcast and saying, "Hey, I, I decided that I'm I'm going to start getting back in shape. I, I let myself slip a little bit, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do that." Like that that took tremendous courage, right, to start that, to step out and say, "Hey, I've I've been failing in this area of my life." It took a huge amount of courage to do that, and 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 it takes a huge amount of humility to recognize that in yourself, because there's a ton of people out there who uh, are in that same place that you were in, but won't acknowledge it. They refuse to acknowledge it, and so, like, I, I think it's awesome that you that you showed the courage. And the humility, and I can I can only imagine. Like if my theory is correct, and my theory proves out, I'm guessing that you feel more confident since you started this podcast than you did before it. Would I be right? Uh, yeah. Short answer: Yes. One word answer: Yes. And um, and thank you for the kind words too. Um, the challenge in all of that, and you might well I'll throw this back at you too, is um, you're 100 percent correct, and and. and it goes all the way back to, to, you know, like you say about how you wanted to be good at podcasting before you started podcasting, right? You you can't get good at podcasting until you hit record, right? And right. it's just a matter of, of that, um, um, uh, there's a bit of that imposter syndrome and that paralysis by analysis before we all start, any of us start anything. What's been interesting to me is, um, is that as this progresses, as this gains popularity, and I still maintain some of those some of those same struggles or new struggles that we talk about on this show. Um, the imposter syndrome kicks in, and I'm sure you're yeah, man, yep. you're familiar with that, right? I'm all so, over that, brother. <laughs> so that be- and that's that's something that for okay. So for people who don't understand the imposter syndrome, it's a concept that um, you're a fraud, you're a fake, you're going to be found out, and that uh, everyone's going to laugh at you. So it's basically right. who am I? Who am I to do who this? Am I to who am I to do this? Who right. am I to start a podcast and talk about these things? Right. There's someone out there who's better qualified than me to talk about this, and yep. the, and and the truth is there is. There's always somebody better than you out there who's better trained, who's got better knowledge, and all that sort of stuff. The simple fact is that for most of us who are doing any sort of thing like this, is that they're just not doing it. They might be better at it. They're just not doing it. There might be there is a cop out there who is a brilliant podcaster, a brilliant creative mind with some of these things who's going through this. He was way better at it than I am, but he's sitting at home and not doing it right? right. or he's doing something else in his, in his free time. Yep. That has been an interesting experience to go through and to see that come into play. Cause you know, when I, when I started this and it was like literally me and my wife and one friend downloading this, it didn't matter. You know, right. it's like, I, cause I was having this conversation anyway and it was like, it doesn't matter cause nobody's out there listening. But yeah. when you start getting emails from people all over the world and, uh, the, and you see the, the response to the show start to increase, 
yeah, that that gets into your head. Your confidence is is in that because you start to wonder. You know, you, you if you're not careful, and like you're saying, you tie your confidence to your competence as either a podcaster or as a as my for me, the success in health and fitness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, 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 that's what, this is why I wanted to have you on is because I think you're a hundred percent on track and on, bo- and I'm totally on board with this idea that your confidence should be tied to anything, but your competence and something that you're doing and that mm-hmm. I am yeah to, to say that I'm, I'm giving you a long winded answer, but, but the short answer is absolutely yes doing something new, putting myself out there and trying something new has made me hugely confident. And um, I, you've probably experienced this as well. Having the humility, to it's hard to say humility and then talk about yourself, but um, having the, I guess vulnerability is a better, better word. The vo- Being willing to be vulnerable and talk about these things in an international forum like this has has greatly improved my life because I get the response back tenfold of people saying me too, right? And mm-hmm. then we commu- this community of people is created that I know not only is this helping somebody else out there, but it's helping me back uh, in return when people correspond or share their stories or share their struggles, right? And right. then when you realize you're not an outlier on the bottom of the bell curve in that sense, um, it really does bring you up. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, and one more thing you, you mentioned uh, – you know, making mistakes. You know, there's one thing when you, when you really start paying attention to humility and you really make humility uh, a focus of yours. It, there's kind of this weird thing that happens where it it almost it almost makes it worse to a degree. But then but then when you realize you need that humility to feel confidence. But here's what I mean: that a, a really humble person, somebody who's focusing on that, will feel like they make more mistakes than somebody who's not. Right. And so yeah. because you're because you're aware of it, you're yeah. you're aware that you've made all these mistakes and now you're looking for them. And so, like, I feel like I make way more mistakes now than I did five years ago. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, of it is, is that I'm way better now at what I do than I was then. It's just I'm recognizing more mistakes. Right. Um, so that's that's kind of a weird, uh, a weird thing that happens. So don't you know, when people start initially kind of going down this you know, humility journey, that's why it can't be all humility and it can't be all courage. There's. They, you got to have them both at the same time because if you do, if you go too far down the humility track and then you realize, man, I just screw up all the time. I can never get this right. Then you don't have the courage to get back in the ring. Yeah. But if you're just all courageous all the time and you and you think that, hey, I'm just going to push forward no matter what and I'm not going to look back and I'm not going to reevaluate what I did. I'm just going to push forward all the time. That doesn't work either, you know. Um, so I, you know, I, I I put this into kind of a diagram where it's, it's kind of hard to see. Or it's kind of hard to it's, it's impossible to see <laughs> in audio <laughs> format. Um, but you know, if you if you imagine kind of a graph with with four with four uh, four boxes, mm-hmm. so the on the left axis is you know the vertical axis is humility. So as you move up this chart, uh, there's more humility, um, and then as you move from left to right, there's more courage. And so I kind of uh, create this box. So the the top left box, which is going to be uh, highest in humility but lowest in courage. Uh, I call that compliant people. These people are compliant. They're 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 happy to be doing whatever it is they're doing. They'll do whatever it is that you tell them because they really don't have any courage. They're just kind of happy being where they are, and they know that they screw up all the time, and they're okay with it. They don't really have a desire to get any better. They're just kind of really happy, generally pleasant people. Uh, and there's a whole lot of compliant people in this world that have a whole lot of humility but not enough courage. Um, now down below them, people who – so the lower left box, this is people who lack humility and courage. 
uh, I, I'm calling the critics, right? They're they're real quick to point the finger at someone else, but they're but they don't have the courage to look at themselves. Um, they're really not they're they're not going to take a you know they won't take a stand on anything um, that that they do, but they'll you know be happy to point the finger at you, and so they they lack courage and humility. Uh, the lower right box, which is going to be high levels of courage and low levels of humility, those are your cocky people. Okay, um, that was me for a large portion of my life. There was a lot of courage there. I was I was happy to think about all the things that I'm going to do and look at all my successes and I'll share it with you and uh, let's talk about me 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 and um, yeah and, and a lot of times these people are or go after it go getters they're they will attack the problem. They're a lot of times high achieving people are in this this cocky range because they have a huge amounts of courage but they have no humility. And then the truly you know what we're going after here the confidence is in the high right. Um, and so I, I kind of use that phrase high right to remind myself a lot of times I picture this box and anytime I'm starting to feel that fear, I'm starting to feel that resistance inside of me. Um, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to be high, right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I show humility, show courage, whatever it is. I kind of use that as a decision-making guide a way to guide, you know, whatever circumstance I'm in. I say, you know, what would I, you know, what should I do here? I want to be high, right. I want to be courageous. I want to be humble to put them together. That makes me you know, feel free to, to confront whatever it is I'm looking at. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but yeah, and uh, we'll post. I'll post that graph in our uh, in our show notes too for people to see it who aren't uh, who aren't auditory in there. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I think uh, this is a really interesting conversation. It's it's it applies on so many. I mean, we could keep talking about this for a long time. I think because you know I'm at a point where I'm kind of looking at my career and and what has you know what has transpired over the last eleven almost twelve years. And I have, um, I'm working right now, I'm working with a, uh, a few new people, you know, brand new to the job. We have a whole group of trainees that are coming in right now, fresh out of the academy. So there's a lot of that. I, I just, and then we have a lot of veterans coming back to the street too from these specialty assignments that are getting shut down because we are just so short staffed. And I'm just thinking as we're talking about it, all these different people I know and, and the stages that they're in of their career and where they're tying their confidence to and who um who is doing it right under this this framework that you're proposing and, and and who is maybe you know attached to the wrong things and it's just an interesting uh, idea as a sergeant and for the supervisor out there i think it's important to understand this and not only in yourself so that you know how to to help people moving forward but to help unders like i was i was counseling a newer guy uh and counseling is the wrong word because that sounds so formal, but I was trying to give him a better perspective of the big picture on, on a particular call and, um, and showing him that and just reassuring him that he's going to make mistakes. And I am totally okay with that, mm-hmm. but that we just need to talk about these and be open about them so that we understand that they are mistakes and that we can learn from them because it's one of those things, like you say, I, 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 I laughed when you said, you know, you make way more mistakes now than you used to. It's in, it's just because you were, you're self-aware about it. You're, and teaching self-awareness is really tough. It's really tough to type A people. It's tough to people who are already, you know, especially fresh out of the academy and have already been told they don't know anything. And now they finally have this sense that they know what they're doing. And mm-hmm. uh, and and then this feeling that, they're, oh, they're not, I'm out of the academy. I'm off field training. I'm a rookie officer. And, oh, I still don't know. You know, I'm still being schooled. Mm-hmm. So that approach and how we teach people and the, Humility to instill in them some courage, I think, is is a big deal, and 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 how we lead. So, here's what I want to ask. Um, you know, self awareness doesn't come about uh, 
overnight and it doesn't come about without some real effort. What are the things you've done or do? Like do you have a morning practice or something that you do consistently to help with your uh, with your self-awareness? Uh, you know, it, like you say, it really does have to be a daily practice. And, and, and it, it, I'm glad you brought up the word self-awareness because I think it, you know, one of the podcasts or maybe just in, in some social media thing I posted basically – had this this concept that humility is really nothing more than self-awareness, but it, it goes a little bit deeper than that is that we're not going to be aware that we're unaware. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't know these, you know, you don't know that you're unaware. Like people who generally lack humility don't know that they, that, that they lack humility. Right. And so, and so really humility is the uh, awareness that you're going to be unaware that you're unaware. <laughs> and that gets, I mean, it's, it's kind of deep, but I'm, I'm not trying to be uh no, obtuse, totally, but, it totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, it's looking for, you know, so it's always, you know, there's a couple of ways I, you know, I work that into my daily life. It's like, I, I try really hard not to make an argument for something that I couldn't just as easily make an argument against. Cause if I, if I don't, if I don't feel like I can make an argument against it, then I'm, I'm not seeing the whole picture. I'm there's, there's a blind spot that I'm, that I'm unaware of. So, um, Interesting. you know, that, that that's that's one thing that uh, you know I try to do, and of course I'm not always successful at this, but that's you know that's that's one thing um, you know that I think about, um, you know, and it's just it's just uh, having that awareness. It's it's asking people. It's uh, and it's always always considering the fact, like you know, in in police work and in any sort of high stakes environment, like you're gonna have to make decisions, and you're gonna have to. I mean, you want to be right. You know, it's not it's not that we should try to be wrong. Um, you know, you should try to be right and you want to be right. Um, I lost, I lost my train of thought there. Um, we'll see. Well, while you dig it up, I I think, um, I think you're absolutely right that, um, it makes total sense that humility, um, the people who aren't humble don't know it. And, but it's, it's, it's trying to achieve that, you know, and, that for me that was a process i didn't i what, what was that donald rumsfeld quote back from from early days like yeah the the, the thing the we don't the know unknowns the, knowns, and the unknowns that. and the things we don't know that we don't know it's like yeah and that and that's what, that's that's what i was going to say is that uh is that you know you you should always be just as certain that you're wrong mm-hmm. as you are that you're right yeah because you know, we're going to try to be right and we're going to make the right choice. We want to try to make the right choice, but you need to always be certain, just as certain that you're wrong as you are that you're right, because there's an equal possibility. And so it's looking for those, like, am I wrong? Is there something that I'm missing here? And, you know, talking to other people about it, asking yourself about it and being honest about it. And, you know, humility, I could, I could go off for another hour on humility. In fact, one of the, I'm going to, I'm about to record an upcoming show on humility. So I'll really kind of go in depth on that uh, on our podcast, but, um, you know, it, it's a tricky thing, especially for for high achieving people. I mean, anybody who who has any level of success fights that battle with arrogance. I mean, if, if, I I really believe that. And if they if they don't if they don't think so, you know, then um, that the, the arrogance has already kind of snuck in and mm-hmm. and is uh, snuck through your defenses. So what is it? So back to like you said, you have a practice, or you have what is it you do? I mean, do you journal? Do you meditate? Do you just talk things out in the car on the way to work by yourself? Or do you have a mentor that you go to? What is it that you do to, to, to see your path the way it is? Yeah. I mean, a little bit of all of the above. I do, I do try to uh, reflect every day. So one of the things, um, you know, I, 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 off and on, I journal, I, I've done it sometimes and I, and I, 
you know, it's one of those things that kind of comes and goes for me. Um, but I do spend a lot of time, you know, reflecting every day. I think consciously, I may not write it down, but I consciously think about the things I did that day to be courageous and the things I did that day to be humble. Um, and so that, that's something that, that, you know, happens every day. Um, and I don't always write it down. I should get better at writing it down. Um, what, what are some of the things that you would do in a day to be I mean, courageous is kind of an easy, well, I don't know if it's easy to understand, but, but, you know, trying something new, uh, saying, pausing before you react to the, uh, uh, the comment from your lieutenant or your sergeant, um, you know, pausing before you react to your kid having a meltdown. I mean, those are all, those all can be courageous things to stop what you're doing and, and take a beat, you know, and create some space between the input and the, in the output. But what are some of the things like, what's a, what's an example of being humble throughout the day or humility? Cause I, I'm sure someone out there is going, well, if, if you identify it as being humble and you congratulate yourself for being humble, are you really being humble? Yeah. Yeah. I see, I see what you're saying. Well, you know, humility is a, it's a valued thing. And so if, if you are, you know, showing humility, you shouldn't be afraid of that, you know? Um, and a lot of times there's, you know, humility is not, there's a lot of misconceptions about humility. You know, humility is not just not talking about yourself. I mean, you know, confident people know how to talk about themselves in the right way at the right time for the right reason. Okay. Just, just because you don't talk about yourself doesn't mean that you're humble. Um, you know, humility is, is more about what you think, not so much what you say. Um, interesting. I like that. Yeah, I really, I mean, it, you know, outwardly, it's hard to tell if somebody's really outwardly being humble. You know, it's really hard to tell. Yeah. Um, and only if you really get to know somebody well, do you kind of get a sense for that because it's, it's very deceiving. Um, so let me ask you this because, you know, one thing we have a promotion, uh, test process, a long process go through recently and we have another one coming up and people have come to me uh, with uh, requests or, or, or you know, uh, asking for advice and that sort of thing. And one of the things that always people always struggle with, whether it's a test for narcs or a sergeant or uh, like a corporal, um, is is the ability to talk about themselves positively. And, mm -hmm. you know, we in a, our culture really uh, look down on that. But in order for us to achieve what we want to achieve, we need to overcome a lot of that too. Um, I, and I, I think you hit something right on the head right there with the idea that humility is not just not talking about yourself. Um, but there's a confidence issue too. I, and I don't even know if I have a question out of this, but, but I just see so yeah. many people struggling with being able to present themselves and present their skills, their assets. I mean, there's people who would be amazing at any of these jobs that I just discussed who struggle with demonstrating their competence via talking about themselves, right? They, they, they think that their actions speak for themselves and they can't, they just don't in a, in a process that's like a civil service process like that. Um, how does somebody, maybe the question is how does somebody become confident enough to be humble does, uh, or, or, I don't know. Is, am I making any sense? Or do you understand? Do you see what I'm saying about the, the testing process and people who just can't, they can't get out there and talk, well, I did this and I've done this and I've done this. And maybe the problem is, is that maybe they, maybe their confidence isn't tied to their competence in these other skills and they don't want to talk about those things. But I don't know how we achieve that for people. That's, that was, that's been on the top of my mind the last couple of days. 
Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there really is this gross misunderstanding of what humility is. Um, you know, and people think that that if they talk about what they've done, that they're that they're not being humble. I mean, look, okay, everyone like the goal is to be good at things, right? And so why would it like you know if you want to if you want to get this job, well, you want to you want to be good at that job. You want to show that you that you could do that job well. So if the goal is to be good, why would it be wrong to talk about? you know, being good. That's where all, that's what, that's all, that's what we're all trying to accomplish anyway is being good. But it, like I say, it's, it's the way that you do it, um, and how you do it and the, and the, and the time that you do it. Um, you know, and, and you mentioned earlier, like always that there's always somebody who's better just because you say you're really good at something doesn't mean that you're, that, you, that you're telling the world you're an expert or that you're the best, um, that the, 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 the best that's ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just means that, that you're good at things. Everybody has natural strengths. And in fact, if, if you have a strength and you're not willing to share that strength with the world, then, then, uh, you know, you're doing the world a disservice, right? You should, you should be willing to share what you have to bring. And if not, you're not giving, you're not providing the service that you put here to provide. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. And I think that, I think you probably answered the question in the sense that, um, just because, or maybe I answered earlier when I when I said it, but like, yeah, just because you're you have a talent, you have a skill set, doesn't mean that there's anyone else out there that doesn't. But we need to own, we need to be proud of those things, but humble about them. Understand that. I think that's that's probably the combination. That's the recipe: is being proud of what you've been able to accomplish, being proud of being the courage you've you've shown by putting yourself out there to learn these things, to gain these experiences, but being humble enough to understand that there is still somebody out there that's better than you. In anything you do. And that's just in anything. There's a better husband out there than me. Oh, I've got a lot of husbands that are better than me. <laughs> but there's no better husband to your wife than you. Yes, right. Exactly. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Fingers crossed. Uh, no. So uh, work on the edges of the podcast. Uh, I really enjoy listening to you, and I appreciate you emailing me about it, Nick. Um, it's not just in specifics of law enforcement. You you talk about these topics in a, in a broader scope that apply to a lot of different people not just us. I mean, you share your experiences, but you, you put it in a context that I like that it's not just for law enforcement. Cause I think these things like competence and confidence could, I mean, you know, my wife could learn to listen to that and get something from that or my kids um, when they're older, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I've enjoyed it a lot. Where can people find out more about you and the show? Yeah. Thanks for saying that Garrett. I really, I really appreciate it. That's nice of you. Um, like, you know, like you kind of had that similar experience where, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing. I mean, I, you know, my website looks like crap. My sound is not as good as I would hope for it to be. And I don't know how to fix either of those things right now. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of pressing forward and trying to send the message out there and hoping it gets received well. And, um, you know, and, and I'm getting some good feedback and I'm, and, uh, I'm encouraged by that. So I appreciate that. Um, you know, I really don't have, you know, it's work on the edge.com is the, is the website, but you know, there's really not a whole lot there other than the podcast episodes, uh, which are probably a lot more convenient to find on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find podcasts. Um, you know, if you want to go there and, and give us a listen, uh, I'd appreciate it. Well, they can also go to your website and get your book that's on competence and confidence that you have there, right? Uh, that you have. Yeah. They, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, yeah. So I, I do, I do offer uh, the, so I call it, call it an audio book. Um, but I, you know, kind of, I wrote out the book and, I, and I've recorded it in kind of an audio format that talks a lot more in depth about um, all these things we we're talking about today. Um, I, I'm in the process of kind of revising that. That's probably going to come down to, I'm going to revise, I'm going to try to get a, an actual hard copy version of this book, uh, revise it, add to it, kind of uh, chop it up a little bit, but, um, that's kind of a project that I'm working on now, but at, for now you can go there and, and download the audio, um, 
of that. Thanks for bringing that up. I forgot about that. Yeah, and well, and like us too, they can go on to the website and sign up for the mailing list at your website too if they want to learn more about some of the stuff and keep updated on what you're doing. Yeah. Nick, thanks for your time. Oh, Instagram? I forgot to ask. Instagram? Twitter? Uh, you know, I, I, I am on Instagram. Yeah, I mean. As a show? I don't do a whole. Uh, yeah, more, more, more Facebook right now. I'm trying to get more into Instagram. But, the, you know, I, I didn't have a, a Facebook account at uh an Instagram, a Twitter, or whatever. It, it, none of that. I had none of that with, um, you know, until just a couple of months ago. And I decided that I really wanted to start spreading the word about the show, and that was a good way to do it. So I haven't really delved into the social media stuff um, yet, but it, but I am there on Facebook mostly, and and there a little bit of Instagram. Well, we'll post uh, links to your accounts there in the show notes for this show too. You can go to the squadroom.net for uh, those links if you want to connect with Nick. Uh, Nick Frankis, uh, Portland PD. Thanks for being with us, man. It was a good conversation. I could keep talking, but I know we both got to bounce off to other things. So thanks for being with us. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thanks for listening to The Squad Room. If you like what you heard today, if you got something out of this conversation with Nick, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It really helps us promote the show, spread the word out there, and help people all around the world. If you heard something today that you know a friend or a loved one needs to hear, please tell them about the show. You can go to thesquadroom.net and email this episode directly to them. To keep up to date on The Squad Room, you can text The Squad Room, all one word, to 44222 to get signed up for our mailing list directly from your phone. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at The Squad Room or on Facebook. Our job is tough, much tougher than anything that could be put into a few words, and our confidence is a struggle and it's a challenge every day and not something we can accomplish in 60 minutes with Nick. But if you want to reach out, start a conversation, ask a question, you can reach me at Garrett at thesquadroom.net. That's two R's, two T's in Garrett. Lastly, I want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by Audible.com. With over 180,000 titles in their inventory, Audible has hundreds of audiobooks that apply to us. If it's a slow shift or a long commute, audiobooks are a great way to continue your education. You can go and get your free 30-day free trial and a free audiobook of your choice by going to audibletrial.com forward slash thesquadroom to sign up. Until next time... Take care of each other and stay safe.